What's up, everyone? Today's episode is an interview that I did over on the 1-800-BJJ-HELP podcast. The hosts are Josh and Jake. Jake Lucky from the Less Impressed, More Involved YouTube channel. If you guys haven't checked him out yet, everything's going to be down in the description below. I just want to thank them so much, again, for having me on and letting me come and talk about jujitsu with them as a little old blue belt that doesn't know very much. Conversation was great and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Uh, Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. DM me on Instagram and yeah, let me know what you guys are thinking about this. I had a whole lot of fun and make sure you guys go follow them. Thanks for listening. Later. What's up, guys? Are you tired of grappling body hair on and off the mats? Well, have no fear, because we have a solution that will keep you rolling smoothly and in style, thanks to Manscaped. Picture this, you're about to step onto the jiu-jitsu mats, ready to dominate and submit all your opponents. But wait, what's that? Your unruly body hair. That's why you need Manscaped, the global leader in men's grooming. With their precision engineering tools, you could tame the hairiest situations and grapple yourself to victory. Imagine executing the perfect arm bar, all while knowing your ball hair is trying to sneak in a sneaky triangle choke. Thanks to the Lawnmower 4.0, you can easily eliminate that unwanted hair with this cutting edge technology. It's like a black belt for body hair. So to my fellow BJJ practitioners, whether you're a white belt or a black belt, Let Manscaped be your secret weapon on and off the mats. Go to manscaped.com and use code ETP20 for 20% off and free shipping. That's ETP20 at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. And with Manscaped, you'll be a force to reckon with on the mats and in the mirror. Have you ever experienced the agony of sleepless nights when you're away from home? Well, let me tell you about a recent trip that I went on that became a sleep disaster. Picture this, you go on a thrilling adventure, leaving behind the comfort of your own bed. Unfortunately, also your beloved pillow. Little did I know the effect it would have on my sleep night after night, struggling to find that cozy, supportive feeling I had grown accustomed to. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, 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 Travis, you get paid by Mummy Pillow to promote their brand and their products. And it's very true, I do, but that's only because after using it, I absolutely could not believe how big of an impact it had on my sleep. Mummy Pillow has been a godsend for me and my sleep. Not having it on that trip and sleeping with those hotel pillows was horrible. I wish I would have brought it with me. And with Mummy Pillows, you also get a travel bag that comes with your pillow. So don't be like me. Bring your pillow everywhere you go and enjoy your night of sleep. And let me tell you, Coming back home and finally sinking in into the embrace of that mummy pillow was like returning home to a long lost friend. (laughs) It was like my pillow had whispered to me, welcome back, my dear friend, rest well. Go to MVMISleep.com and use code ELBOWSTIGHT at checkout for 15% off. Once again, that's 15% off with code ELBOWSTIGHT at checkout. Sleep ambitiously with mummy. Hey everyone, welcome back to 1-800-BJJ-HELP. As you can tell with this intro, it's very different from our normal episodes. And that's because we have a very special guest today, Travis from the Elbows Tight Podcast. Travis, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. uh, I feel like I've known you guys forever already. We had some good laughs beforehand and everything. So thank you so much. Yeah, as I feel like being a content creator in the jujitsu niche is a very rare 
animal species or something. There's not many of us out there, although there's more nowadays, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I feel like um, there's been a lot of people within the space that have been collaborating a lot lately as well. Um, you know, it's kind of like the back in the day, jujitsu was very closed off to each other and content creation. I've been doing content creation for since probably about 2017. And uh, when I got into the jujitsu space, it definitely didn't feel as collaborative as it does now. Um, you know, people, especially in the podcasting space, definitely didn't want to like share secrets or really, you know, have the same guest on or talk about other podcasts on their podcast. But uh, especially with YouTube now, I feel like everyone's so collaborative and really want to support each other because, you know, if rising tides lift all ships, so it's everyone grows together. It's a, it's a, it's a cool experience. So. Yeah, super cool. It almost reminds me of like Joe Rogan's mentality, like bringing up all his friends as comedians, like fellow comedians together. And now everyone's got their own big careers and all in the same niche, that uh, abundance mindset that they have. Yeah, if I can get a tenth of that success, I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, um, so Travis, how did you get into jujitsu? And like, when, do you remember your first class that you ever took? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so a little bit of a backstory in high school, my freshman year, I wrestled for a semester, fell in love with it, was never really an athlete in the sense of like team sports and stuff like that. I was drawn to wrestling because of kind of like the me versus the other person while kind of being on a team, you know, you have a team aspect, your school wins or loses. And then after a semester, I had to move schools because I had to switch living with a different, or I was living with uh, my dad and then we moved and so I had to switch schools. And so I didn't pick up wrestling the rest of my life, but I always felt like the foundation was there once I picked up jujitsu. But so I've always had like a little bit of a grappling experience and the CrossFit gym that I go to, well, I used to go to now, they're still attached to each other, but Cody, the owner, he's a former uh, amateur MMA fighter, was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt at the time. And we were always kind of like, joking around about doing jujitsu and we would go upstairs in our, where our gym was at the time. And it was like a big, uh, gymnastics gym. So they had a lot of mats on the floor. And I remember one day we all went up there after working out and we all just started rolling around and wrestling. And, and, uh, I was like, man, I said, that's, I missed that dude. And he's like, yeah, I've been wanting to get back into jujitsu. So fast forward, maybe three years later, he finally is like, I'm doing it, man. I'm doing it. We're going to open up a jujitsu academy next door in the same same parking lot. And so he brought his black belt down at the time. And he started off the academy with a three-day seminar. And at the end of the third day, if you were there for all three days, he gave you a stripe because it was very rudimentary, basic. You know, this is shrimp. Because everyone there was a brand new white belt. There was no one with experience besides Cody right. Who was a, a blue belt at the time he got promoted right at that, at the third seminar to purple. And so it was all, all super basic stuff, which was really nice. And so I felt pretty good getting that stripe at the end of it. I'm not going to lie, but, <laughs> but, you know, so it was like, um, after, after that third, that third day of the seminar, uh, he left and then Cody started teaching from there as a purple belt. And I didn't see anyone higher than a purple belt until probably about, uh, I mean, outside of our original guy we were under, it was a black belt. But the next person that I saw that was a high ranking person was our second instructor who came into the academy as a brown belt. And that was about 
a year and a half into the academy. So Cody had been teaching us for as a purple belt for a long time. And we we're just doing like Gracie combatives and like the very simple Gracie University stuff online. And so it was all very, you know, nothing flashy. We never did anything flashy for that first year. And when our new instructor came over and he kind of like took over as a brown belt, then we started learning, you know, a little bit more advanced things, a little bit more conceptual things. And as a white belt, I remember the first thing, the first big like aha moment is when he showed up and we we're going over like spider guard or something simple. And he's like, hey, look, when you grab the sleeve, you want to twist your wrist to kind of increase the, the grip strength and pull it tighter. He's like, think of it like a monkey wrench. And I was like, you know, <laughs> like I was like, holy crap, this is like a whole different game. And uh, but to, like back to your, your I kind of ramped off on that. But back to your question, my first class um, was during that seminar and we didn't roll or anything like that. So, but it was, you know, it was like going back and forth. And I was like, man, this is this is super cool. But it didn't really click with me until the first time I rolled, which was at the end of the third day. He's like, OK, now we're you guys got kind of like an understanding of it. Let's go ahead and spar. And I was going against a guy that had dropped in and he was a one stripe white belt that had maybe six months of training. And he was like maybe 18 years old. And at the time I'm 170, 170 pounds, the fittest I've ever been in my life, squatting 400 pounds, like super strong. And this kid mopped the floor with me. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm like dying. Right. And I, I specifically remember thinking during that role, holy crap, man, if I were to get in a fight on the street, I would literally die. Like if a person had a little bit of training, I would die because this kid just manhandled me the whole time. And I've been doing it ever since I've fell in love with it. I, 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 you know, that first six months is when I was like, really like, holy crap. Like I've felt the difference. And then when that new, that new white belt came, I was like, I remember what it was like when you were, <laughs> when I was day one and showed him some stuff and whatnot. But it's, it's, it's kind of like a, this is the longest hobby besides playing video games that I've had in my life but in being consistent with it and competitive and whatnot. And I absolutely love it, man. So I feel like I had a very similar experience as you. That's relatively unique because like, just like you, I joined a school that like was brand new. So everyone there was like super fresh. And then there was one purple belt that was there. That was the instructors like, you know, Um, the guy who like followed the instructor over from like another school. Mm -hmm. So when other people share their first experience, a lot of times they like get beat up by everyone. But like for me as like a relatively like young athletic guy, I didn't really have that experience because like everyone was new and there was like (laughs) that one purple belt that beat you up. But like everyone else was like, yeah, I can, I can do all right. You know? So how did you, uh, how do you feel like, like that? Do you feel like that helped or hurt or like, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John, my old co-host, and I would talk about it all the time. And we would speak on the experience of everyone being brand new. Everyone's at the same level playing ground. We're all developing at the same exact time. What works, what doesn't, you know, we're, we're all, no one's really better than other besides your natural athleticism or strength or whatever, right? Which obviously we always talk about in jujitsu, strength and athleticism doesn't matter. But if you guys are equal skill, obviously the more, the stronger the person, the more athletic the person, they're probably going to come out on top. So that was probably the biggest deciding factor of everyone in the academy when we first started. But because we, like I mentioned before, because we all, and Jake, just like you mentioned, like we were all so new, everyone was just learning everything together. 
So it was a great experience because I don't know. We just like, it's hard, it's hard to explain without like, I don't know, rambling about it. It's just, it was a cool experience seeing everyone together, learning something brand new and everyone figuring it out together. Right. So it was a, a completely different experience. And um, yeah, I don't know how many people have gone through something like that of opening an academy with a bunch of other white belts. And there's one purple belt. Cody, by the way, my purple belt at the time, Cody, the owner, who's now a brown belt, um, he is 6'5, 220 pounds, monster, absolutely monster. Even as a purple belt, I mean, I think I've submitted him one time in five years. Like he just, he's got my number, man. But it's good because I've been getting that since day one. And he never went easy on us, really. You know what I mean? Like he was he was submitting us day one. And so, which is a whole nother experience, right? When you have that that person that's just like constantly, you know, you're just yin to yang. He's just, <laughs> he's just there is nothing I can do to this man at my skill level right now. Like I, I passed his guard for the first time, like a couple of weeks ago. And even afterwards, he's like, hey, you passed my guard. I was like, that was a victory, bro. <laughs> I just did it. Like, you know what I mean? But so having that and with everyone being brand new, um, it was a cool experience. You know, it was, it was really cool sparring with brand new white belts because, you know, people talk about white belts shouldn't spar with white belts or you need to watch white belts sparring with white belts, especially brand new ones because they're like rams locking horns. You know what I mean? They're just going to go at each other. And I don't know if that was true during my first couple, you know, months because I wasn't, I didn't have any basis of what a good sparring round was like until people started coming in that were higher belts and like, man, you guys kind of roll hard here. I was like, well, this is how we've been doing it since day one. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> is that something you experienced too, Jake? Was it like people were just like going balls to the wall the whole time? You know, I don't kind of like you, I don't really remember like the intensity of it. But I do remember when I would go with that purple belt, it was like, that's how I would like test myself pretty much. <laughs> and kind of like along the lines of what you're talking about, like it seemed like everyone was trying to solve the same problems together. And we were yeah. kind of like all on the same journey in the same like part of the journey, as opposed to like one person coming in being like, oh, I'm working on my Kimoras today. And the other person coming in like, oh, like, yeah, we're doing this in class, but like what I'm really working on is this kind of thing. You know, like yeah. we didn't really have anything we were working on outside of class. Like we were doing what we were doing in class. Yeah. Um, and, and then kind of like, as we kind of like the purple belt wasn't like super dedicated and I was like super dedicated. So like after like three, four years, I started to like not get tapped out by this guy who was just like so much better than me when we first started. And then now all of a sudden I was basically able to like hold my own against him and I would get him and he would get me. And then, um, it was kind of like a good measuring stick, honestly, yeah. for just like progression. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, what's interesting too, is when, you know, you first start and especially with everyone else being brand new too, there wasn't a whole lot of complex questions that were asked because we didn't, none of us had a firm, I always talk about this too, is, you know, when you're, when you're a brand new white belt, um, and it's even more pronounced in a very junior academy. But when people ask, like, do you have any questions about this technique or is there any questions? You're like, bro, I don't even understand what you just went <laughs> over. How I don't, I don't even have a foundation of understanding of the simple dynamics of jujitsu to even begin 
to extrapolate a question of what you just went over. You know what I mean? And that was like the beginning of it. People were just like, is there anyone with questions? And no one wanted to ask the question because no one even knew what the hell was going yeah. on. Like, we got it. We got it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep, mm-hmm, for sure. 100%. And then we all do it wrong. And you just like, palm. <laughs> what position are we doing again? <laughs> Half guard? Side throw it and so, Travis, I, I heard on an episode in your podcast that when you first started, you you guys trained really hard to try to chase that first blue belt promotion. How many days a week were you training at the time? And how has that evolved? How's like your training consistency change over time? And yeah. how'd your pro- progression look? Yeah, when when I first started, uh, much like probably you guys too, I was nipped by the bug instantly. And we didn't have like a a super dedicated schedule. I think it, I think we've always had just like two classes a week of actual instruction time. I think at one time we had three classes a week of instruction time. And really what I would do, I was just go to every class I possibly could. And then every single open mat or opportunity I had to go roll with people or do something, I was doing it. Um, and then the probably the biggest thing that changed my jujitsu journey was I worked for the government. And so I get to travel to other bases around the world and and work. And John and I, we got to go to Japan for three and a half months and work out in Japan. While, while I was out there, there was some free jiu-jitsu classes on base. And then John and I were like, I don't know, man, free jiu-jitsu class. It's not going to be that good. It's probably going to be some like random blue belt that's, you know, just wants to help people. But when we got there, it was a purple belt. His name is Trey, and he's a now a brown belt under Maliki Friedman, the mad scientist of jiu-jitsu. Um, he's in over in North Carolina. And dude, it was crazy the amount of knowledge this purple belt. It reminds me of Jake, right? Like just the amount of knowledge this kid had at at a purple belt. I was like, incredible. And then the brown belt came back, Alan, who's now a, a black belt under Maliki also. And then he started teaching classes and we had, we just had three instructors, uh, Trey, Al and, or Alan and Blake. And Blake was a, once again, a gigantic man. He was like six, three, 230 pound brown belt that had started training in Hawaii and was the only white guy in his academy in Hawaii. So you could imagine how bad he got smashed all the time. So his teaching style and his game was the same thing that he went through. And so he was just like devastating to us, right? But not only were their games just really good, but the the thing that changed was their teaching style was completely different than what we had back home. They didn't do warm-ups. They did maybe 30 minutes of technique. And then the rest of the time, it was our class, maybe 30 minutes of technique. The rest of the time was sparring. Some days we would come to class and they wouldn't even do technique. It was a hundred percent positional sparring. And so this was like all brand new to me. And as a white belt, I was like, man, this is great. <laughs> like in the three months, I felt like I really advanced quite a bit. And I came back home and my game had like kind of completely changed because we were learning way more advanced things um, like lasso, uh, better half guard stuff, like just completely different than what we were learning back home, which was like I mentioned was very, very simple things because we were so brand new. And so when I came, when we were in Japan, it was pretty much seven days a week, John and I would get off work. We would go to the gym, uh, or we would go train jujitsu. We would roll for an hour and, it was Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, right? We weren't out there with our family. It was just me and him. So we were training as much as possible. So when we came back, um, 
we didn't have the same consistency because our academy wasn't open that much. But I feel like that that was good and bad for my journey, like I've talked about before. It was good because I progressed very fast, but it was bad because once I got my blue belt, I kind of pulled, I, I kind of pressed on the brakes a little bit. I was like, oh man, now I can slow down a little bit. And I don't know, you know, hindsight 2020 is like, I don't know if that hurt my game or helped my game in the long run or hurt my journey or helped my journey. But um, I kind of reflect on it like, what would have happened if I would have just kind of done the normal thing and just two, three times a week? You know, just enjoyed it. Not really because we were focused on that blue belt. We were focused like we want the blue belt. We're doing Roy Dean's blue belt requirements 2.0s. We're like watching like stuff online, trying to get it as hard as possible. And then when we got it, um, I was like, okay, well, now I know this is going to be a much longer time before the next one. So what am I going to do now? (laughs) Right. When you got your blue belt, for all the white belts listening, myself included, what do you think is the biggest difference between you as a blue belt and you as a white belt? The color of my belt. (laughs) That's on it. I don't think there's a difference between a white belt and a blue belt until you get closer to purple, to tell you the truth. I think the, when you're, there's, there's no, um, there is no, standard in jujitsu that says this is what a blue belt is this is what a white belt is and i felt pretty good as a getting my blue belt when i got it until my new instructor sean came through who's a carlson gracie black belt who basically just mopped the floor with me and felt like i was i was a one-stripe white belt again and he was like this is kind of messed up to say but a couple months after teaching us he's like yeah maybe you guys might have been promoted a little early you know (laughs) uh but so I was a two-stripe blue belt when he showed up, and I thought I was pretty good as a blue belt, but the standard for him was just completely different, right? So I don't think there is a big difference. I think the biggest difference from a white belt and a blue belt is the mindset. I think the biggest difference is you kind of growing into that belt, um, whether, whether you feel like you were promoted late or early, you kind of late stage blue to me is like, I'm just now really like honing my game. You know what I mean? I'm kind of just really like figuring out who I am as a practitioner. Um, but early into blue, I mean, it's, you're the same person you were the day before or the five seconds before you had that blue belt on. If you were tapping all the white belts as a white belt, you're going to, you're going to continue to tap all the white belts as a blue belt. There's no, there's no real difference. You know what I mean? You're still the same person. I think, I think it just builds your confidence and allows you to kind of subconsciously open your mind to more possibilities because now you have a different color belt. Now you made that first big step. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah. What did it feel like to, to come into your own and, and like start to see your own game develop? Like, what? yeah. What did that feel like? What was your game? Um, well, my game, my, my game when I first started was just intensity <laughs> was just like going as hard as possible. You know what I mean? Like most white belts. Um, and then, you know, Kimuras were, I'm a strong guy. So Kimuras, obviously, if I can get a Kimura locked up, it's very advantageous to me. Um, but now I play a lot of half guard from the bottom because I've, I've gained a little bit of weight thanks to the, you know, the Rona virus and being locked up and not training as much. I'll just blame it all on that. Not my kids and my wife and all that stuff and day jobs. But, <laughs> but so um, before it was, I was much more. I'm still pretty athletic for 200 pounds, but I was obviously 30 pounds lighter. And so I was much more athletic, much faster. Um, but now because I'm a little bit bigger as a bigger guy, I like to play bottom a lot because I feel like it's 
kind of rude for me to try to smash people by standing up all the time, you know, so I let them take the advantage and stand up. And then if I could sweep them or something like that, then that's something different. But I like playing a lot of half guard right now. Um, a lot of north south. Um, I used to have a deadly like Darce choke and like north south choke, but people figured it out and then I stopped doing it for a while. Now I can't hit it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it, it's a cool feeling because um, people, I, I remember one time people said like, oh man, don't let Travis get in X, Y position. Cause you know, he's good from there, which was a cool feeling, right? It's like, oh man, that's great. Like now I'm known for like, this is kind of my, my thing now. So that means I have to change it because now people know if I get there, <laughs> I'm going to get what I want. <laughs> Hopefully. That's, that's super interesting. What's the, what stood out to me is you said you're a strong guy. And so Camaro is something that you gravitated towards. And Jake and I were talking about this a while back about styles, like people finding their styles and this overlap between like what your interest is in your body type. And for me, I'm, I'm a tall, like skinny dude. I'm six two and I only weigh like 155. So I, I, for me, I really like taking the back and like the body triangle mm. and like the rear naked choke. And I feel like it's the thing, <laughs> the thing I've gotten more than anything else, even though it, everything, everything in my game sucks. But if there's one thing that just pointed, stuck out a little bit compared to the rest, it'd be that. So that, that stood out to me is like people finding their own game based off like their interests or attributes. Uh, when did so you just competed this last weekend but when did the idea of competition like start germinating in your head were people competing at your gym at the time like um no no one that we have a real hobbyist i don't i don't like using the word hobbyist there's kind of like negative connotations to hobbyist you know what i mean but like no one really competes at our academy um it used to be like the the surfer jujitsu you know what i mean like everyone's kind of relaxed and like just roll like we roll roll hard and stuff like that but the dynamics kind of changed a little bit with our new instructor um so i think there's maybe one or two other guys at our academy that actually regularly compete and i came from a strength conditioning background like i mentioned where i competed in you know olympic weightlifting crossfit and stuff like that and i did that basically throughout my 20s and when I got into jujitsu, I kind of crossfit and weightlifting kind of like took a back burner. Cause I, once again, I kind of got nipped by the bug. So I, I was like, I don't really want to do that anymore. But my, my desire for competing was kind of burnt out because I did it so much in those other aspects of my life. I was like, I kind of just want to do this just to do this and not really worry about competing anymore or competition or cutting weight or anything like that. So I never had a desire to, to compete. The reason I competed this last weekend was because more along the lines of like, um, it's, it was, I wanted to be able to speak on it for other people. You know what I mean? I wanted to be able to connect because there are a lot of people, especially as white belts that do compete. And I wanted to be able to connect with these people on a, on a, on another level, but like, Oh, I've been there. I know what it's like. This is what my first experience was like. Um, so I wanted, I wanted that experience that way I could speak on it. And if people had questions, right. Like you compete this weekend, like if people had questions, I can tell them like what my experience was and hopefully help them and not make the mistakes I made this last week. And like you mentioned, I, I said in the podcast, like I made quite a few mistakes this last week and I had no idea what I was doing and no one was there to guide me. So I put it out there be like, don't do this. Cause <laughs> But I, I even now, like after competing, I kind of want to do it one more time 
only because I just felt like I didn't set myself up for success this last weekend. I did pretty good in my eyes, but I just, there were so many things going against me that I had no idea were going against me that I want to do it again because now I know. Now I won't make those same mistakes again. You know what I mean? Right. I wonder if that's the bug of competition. Like just one more time, Travis, just one more. <laughs> but uh, let's talk a little bit about like preparing for the competition. What do you think were some lessons you learned? Like how was your prep? I know you talked about the game plan uh, a little bit later, takedowns versus pulling guard. The weight cut was interesting in your episode. If you were to sum that up, like what were some pros and cons of, of your, your prep time? Um, pros and cons. Um, don't sign up for a competition less than a week out saying that you're going to be in a weight class that you weigh in normal clothes uh, or above in normal clothes. So that was lesson number one. I would give myself more more of a, a time frame beforehand, like an actual fight camp, if you want to call it that, or competition prep or whatever for it. So that was my first big mistake. Uh, my next big mistake wasn't the weight cut. The weight cut didn't honestly didn't bother me. It was two pounds and 24 hours and I'm, I'm pretty hydrated. So it was all sweat and I never felt dehydrated. I never felt super thirsty. Uh, what TMI again, like my urine wasn't super dark. You know what I mean? Like there was no signs of like extreme dehydration. I didn't feel dizzy. Um, and so that was, that was okay. But the problem was when I showed up at the competition, I never knew when I officially had weighed in, they like called our bracket back and they're like, master's man, 208, you know, come back. And so we come over there. I, I check in, I step on the scale and the guy's like, all right, you're good. And I was like, okay, so what do I do now? He's like, oh, you could just like hang out over here. And I was like, uh, okay. So, <laughs> so I'm like standing there and I'm like thinking like, man, I am, I really just want to drink some water right now. Like I was 206, 206.7. So I had a little bit of leeway and, but I, I asked one of the guys I was talking to, I was like, Hey, was that our official weigh in? He's like, no, nah, man, we got to weigh in one more time before we go to the mats. And I'm like, hold on a second. You mean to tell me they're going to check my weight twice before I ever compete? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, are they, it's a local competition. Like they're really that strict about people cutting weight. You know what that I mean? I knew what he was doing. That yeah, guy knew yeah, what he was doing. Yeah. yeah. I think I beat him though, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, so I was like, I was like, okay, well, I guess, I guess I'll just hang out and maybe eat five or six gummy bears and take a, a drink of my electrolytes and try to make sure that I'm still underweight before I step on the mat. And so I'm standing there and I'm like thinking, man, that just doesn't make sense. And I'm like looking at the mats and I'm thinking maybe there's a, there's a, a scale behind the scoreboard or something like right next to the mat. Like you're going to take your sandals off, step on the scale, make sure you're in the good weight. And then you're going to step on the mat. Like I no idea. I've never done this before. Right. But I don't see any scales. And I'm like, man, this is, this is so weird. And he's like, all right, guys, let's head over to the mat. And I was like, that was the freaking official weigh-in, bro. I didn't even get to drink anything. <laughs> so I basically did my whole three matches in my competition almost entirely fasted. I had literally just a little bit of electrolytes, a little bit of water that morning. I think I maybe had 10 ounces of water that entire I woke up at 6 a.m. I stepped on the mat at 11 a.m. with wow. 10 ounces of water in between. And like I said, like maybe six or seven gummy bears. And so there was like nothing. And so that was another one. Now I know that is the official weigh-in. And if I'm under on the scale that I check myself before the official weigh-in, 
they're the same scale. I'm good to go on that scale. I'm going to be good to go on the next scale. So I can I give myself a little bit of grace and eat something or whatever. Just make sure that, you know, before they call me back, just check my weight again to make sure that I'm all good. So that was another big mistake. Um, and then probably the third one was uh, my buddy's a black belt that I work with at a, another local gym. And he mentioned that he was going to come and, you know, help me out and help out some of his guys. And so I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'll have a coach there. Someone just kind of like, you know, help me. And he texted me the night before. He said, Hey man, I'm not going to be able to make it. I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to do this all by myself. <laughs> and so I didn't have a coach. And at first I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. But once I started hearing everyone else get coached, I kind of felt like they had an advantage. Obviously they had a second pair of eyes on what was going on in the match. They had someone there cheering them on if they were in a bad position or talking about what I was doing and how they can stop me from advancing my position. And then I was listening to their coach like, oh, he's telling him to watch out for this. So I'm going to go for this and like stop him from watching. You know what I mean? So it was like it was like this back and forth with his own coach that I was trying to listen to, which kind of made it to where he was a step ahead because I was just trying to stop him from doing what his coach was telling him. You know what I mean? So I was in a dominant position, but I never really advanced my position or did anything because I was just listening to his coach and trying to stop what his coach was telling him to do. So those were probably the big, big three takeaways that I had um, from the competition. Um, and that had nothing to do with your original question. You asked about prep. So no, it's all good. No, it's all good. We're, we're transitioning right into cop, which, which is good. Um, I want to stick with the third point a little bit, because I actually will not have a coach for the, my competition this, this weekend. And in your episode, you said it was interesting because you can hear the coach coaching your opponent and it made you focus on stopping your opponent's game instead mm -hmm. of like your own game so yeah that seems like a real mind fuckery <laughs> like it's just like that seems like a, a big challenge uh what advice would you have for me should i just not pay attention to what the coach is saying should i like for people out there who may just be competing without a coach or how um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say don't listen to them because I feel like it is an advantage for you to knowing what the other person is trying to do. Yeah. But I think, I think don't solely focus like I did. Don't get tunnel vision on what they're trying to do. Right. You know, if you have a game plan, like if you have something, if you're in Mount and you have something that you're good at from Mount, like obviously, yeah, don't let them, you know, trap and roll or whatever, get out of Mount. But at the end of the day, like still go for what you know you want to do from that position. Like mm -hmm. don't solely focus on what that guy is saying, even though it it, it can help you. You still want to focus on what you can do. You still right. want to focus on your game, what your game plan was, which the ideas and submissions or transitions that you have from these positions, whether it's in a, you know an inferior or superior position, whatever it is, you know, just focus on what you're doing a little bit more than them. And it should allow you to work a little bit better than I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. And then one thing. Have that... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jake. I was just going to add that uh, that Danaher talks about when he's coaching his athletes. He basically like tells them the time of the match, and he also just tries to take them out of tunnel vision. So, like, mm. if they're in side control, he'll just start saying things like. You have Kimuras, look for underhooks, you have Darces, you have like just like saying things to get you out of that tunnel vision mindset. So I would just know, know that that's probably going to happen 
And as long as you like know that that's like an obstacle that you're going to face without a coach, like one, hopefully their coach is telling them the time. So like, perfect. They're telling you the yeah. time too, you know? So like, yeah. right. um, that's one. And then two, just like realize that tunnel vision is a real thing, you know? So like, yeah, it's just an obstacle that you're going to have to to face. So at least, you know, it's there when you're going into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't, th- I didn't honestly didn't think I was going to have as much tunnel vision as I did. You know what I mean? Like I'm pretty, I'm a pretty level-headed guy and you know, I don't really let outside entities interfere too much with me until I started listening to that guy. And I was like, I can hear his coach so clear in the, at this loud ass stadium. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, holy crap, can you stop talking for a second so I can do what I need to do? Um, but like with the, my first match, um, my game plan, you know, and what I wanted to do, I kind of like executed it almost perfectly. And then when my second match happened, uh, it was out the window. You know, I was like, the the guy was just as athletic as me, just as strong as me. Uh, and he competes a lot. And so it was a good back and forth for a long time. And then he passed my guard and got into mount. And that that fast kicked in. That was like, there's no, there's nothing. I was like, I'm just trying not to get submitted for the rest of this, like two minutes. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I broke his guard. I passed his guard. He swept me, got back on top. Like it was a good back and forth until that, until he got in the mountain. Then my body was like, Ooh, sorry, bro. That was it for you. <laughs> that, that, that's a, that's, that's all we got for you right now, man. Like, and so I just ended up not getting submitted in my second one. So that was a victory to me because he submitted all his other opponents. And I was like, man. <laughs> Dang, but uh, also another thing that I did for my prep, um, besides, you know, I did my strength and conditioning. I do uh, Chad Wesley Smith's Juggernaut AI for BJJ practitioners. Um, also, uh, I mean, I watch Jake's videos too, obviously, because trying to analyze what can happen at not even at the highest level, but Jake, you come out with a lot of good information on your videos to, to think about as well. And Thank you. anytime man, keep, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> but then I also did like, um, when it comes to learning, I feel like uh, this might not be a very popular opinion, but I don't like instructionals personally. I feel like um, it distracts me from what I can do, or like it, it takes up empty or it takes up valuable space for things that um, I'm learning in class or that actually help me out or work for me. Um, and if I do watch an instructional, typically what I do is I try to watch an instructional that. It's something that we're going over in class. You know what I mean? When it comes to instructionals, I can't really learn that way because I have to like physically be doing it. And a lot of times if I'm watching an instructional, I'll either take notes or I'm nowhere. I'm not on the mats or actively doing it as a person. So I didn't really watch any instructionals. It was more of like theory things, like ideas and concepts to think about during positions because I have submissions from every position. Obviously, I don't really need to add submissions to these positions as as a blue belt you know what i mean i'm gonna have my game i'm gonna have my game watching an instructional for an hour and a half isn't gonna help me (laughs) right away you know i mean i have to apply it and i have to hone it and everything like that uh but one thing that i did do was jordan's uh theory course that helped out a lot honestly it helped out a lot because it made me with very small tangible cues when it comes to like passing guard 
when it comes to like side control or amount, you know what I mean? Like little things that I can do that, that solidify the position or help me, um, in these transitions and stuff like that. So that was a big help. Um, I didn't feel like that took up like valuable space because it kind of just, uh, emphasized these things that I already do. It kind of already made them better. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. So when Mm -hmm. I look at instructional stuff like that, it's kind of like what can make my already, what already I'm good at, or I'm trying to learn and make it better. Not necessarily like I don't, we don't do leg locks, so I'm not going to watch a leg lock instructional. You know what I mean? Like now if I go compete in like a no gi thing where leg locks are going to be a thing, then I might want to watch something that's going to help out with that. But uh, my was a gi tournament. And so I can straight ankle lock people, but it's not really something that I'm going to pull guard to, <laughs> to do a straight ankle lock in. You know what I mean? So that's kind of like how I feel about instructionals when it comes to like prepping for it too. What about you guys? Do you watch any match footage? Like professional jiu-jitsu? Man, once again, might be controversial. I think <laughs> I think professional jiu-jitsu is extremely boring. Uh, except for a few people and a few events. I think Polaris is great. Obviously, ADCC is probably the best for spectators. Um, It's usually super fast paced and stuff like that. But when it comes to like competitive gi, I feel like it's, you know, it's like a 10, 15 minute match for a two point sweep or, you know, like something very simple. And then it's a stalling game for the whole match. So, which I think there is value there. I'm not saying that there's not value there because learning how to stop sewing is obviously going to help you. But um, I think the nuance that's going on at such that high level, I don't understand completely. And so um, I don't really watch too many matches unless it's kind of like highlights or like you, Jake, you, you do a great job with your stuff where, you know, you, you highlight like these small moments that are important. Like I would never know those things because I don't pay enough attention to it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not studying it that deep. And I feel like if you're going to study match, either you're going to have to have someone there that studies that deep, or you're going to have to dedicate a lot of time to it to fully understand what's going on right there. Because if I see a high level match, I'm like, man, he won by two points. That's great. I don't understand how exactly it happened, but he won by two points. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I I feel like kind of like you're, you're talking about one of the downsides of studying match footage is like if you're trying to get better at like De La Hiva or something and you have to watch a 15 minute match that ends in a 2-0 draw and like they literally were never in De La Hiva, you're like all I was looking for is some De La Hiva action and I didn't get any of that you know I just wasted 15 minutes of my life and then you go on to the next one you're like I hope there's some De La Hiva here so I can see what they're doing you know um so it's uh it can be a bit of a like time suck to try and like sift through a bunch of match footage to try and like see what you're looking for and like find what you're trying to develop so like this is one thing that i really think i can i can offer to this space because like i spent so much time going through match footage and i've dealt with this struggle like a lot so like one thing i'm trying to create right now is basically like a database that has like all my notes and then like if you were interested in like De La Hiva or like half guard or whatever, and you're like, how do I get past the knee shield? And you're just like trying to find different ways of how like good people are getting past the knee shield in competition. You can like literally search for that and it will show you like 
30 seconds into this video or into this match, there was an e-shield guard pass. And then like, you know, like it'll give you like the moments you're looking for. So you can go through there and like hone those specific skills that you're looking, or at least like study match footage of what you're trying to look at. Because again, I just feel like it's so hard to find like specific examples of like the, the thing that you're trying to develop. Same thing, like what you're talking about with an instructional, like you're often doing that to like enhance what you're learning in class. And it's difficult to do that in an efficient manner when watching match footage because you got to watch like four hours of match footage to find like 30 seconds of what you're looking for, you know? And I I think another thing, too, is you kind of got to you have to kind of be a student of the art and understand who plays the game also. You know what I mean? Like if you want a good guillotine, obviously, Marcelo Garcia is going to be a good one. If you want like LaPel Keenan, obviously, is going to be a good one. You know what I mean? Like you got to understand like who plays it. And uh, I'm not a student of the the art as much as I probably should be, especially with having a platform in jujitsu. Um, like, I don't know a lot of people. I don't know a lot of people games. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know people's accolades and stuff like that. Um, and I think if if you kind of submerse yourself more into it, then it, it's, it becomes a lot easier because you're able to understand like, OK, now I want to work on this. I know, you know, so and so does this. So I should watch some of their things and and see how how they do it you know what i mean yeah i just wrote this down i'm gonna run it by my developer but i think that's like a really good thing to maybe track and like say like if you do like search for like guillotines and then it will like show you all the timestamps where guillotines happen and then maybe say like a common person that appears in this search is this person and like it could like direct you like maybe you should buy this person's instructionals or like you know like give you 50 percent of your revenue yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like that a lot. Um, it's a really good idea. Yeah, Travis, I'm glad I could help out. <laughs> Sorry, just to bring it back to competition for a quick second before, yeah. and then I do want to talk about like your podcast it started so many years ago and like how it evolved. But uh, what do you is there? What do you think you learned about yourself from the competition experience? that I don't have the dog in the fight really anymore, man. I'm such a relaxed guy now. Uh, being a dad, a father of three, full-time job, jujitsu is a hobby for me. Um, and my third match is when this this clicked because I was dead tired, right? After that, after I got in mount on that second one, it was two minutes of me just trying not to get submitted, right? And I ended up reversing him in like the last 15 seconds. And I was like, cool, that was a victory, bro. You know what I mean? And so it was one match off after that match, the, after that war, and then it was boom for the third place match, right? And so uh, the guy I was going against is like a, his name's John. He's probably about 6'2", obviously 208. So very well-built guy, strong, athletic. And uh, so I'm sitting there and, you know, they're like ready to go. And he was like so physical already, like from the get-go. I was like, you've got it, man. Like you obviously, this is way more for you than it is for me. I'm good. Like I don't, I, that I didn't have that, that, that I'm going to push back against him. I'm going to, I'm going to make push the pace. I'm going to do this. Like I didn't have that in me and I'm okay with that. It's not, it's not going to be there forever. I don't want to be a world champ. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I did compete. I competed because I wanted the experience and I got the experience, you know, and when he was like, he was like going balls to the wall, man. I was like, dude, Good for you, first of all. <laughs> but this is not me anymore. You know, maybe, maybe, 
uh, three years ago, four years ago, that would have been a different story. But now I'm I'm good. And it also and it could have been contributed to like my exhaustion. I was so tired that I didn't even want like mentally. I was like, I'm not going to be able to match this pace. So I'm not even going to try as to where someone, if they're more of a competitive person, they might have just like try to push through it and been a little bit more competitive to it. I mean, I was still competitive. I got submitted, but I was still going back and forth with them the best I could. But it was just like nowhere near the physicality. He was ready to push it to that. I just I, I, I didn't want to or did I need to go that far? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, that's one of my favorite things about this hobby is how much you learn about yourself, like who you are in these different situations and positions. And I think that's my goal with this competition this weekend is, is just to observe myself and see see what I get to learn about myself. And I actually, I, I might I might have that same realization of like, yeah, I don't really care that much to like risk all these injuries and go so hard all the time. But who knows? I, I guess we'll we'll find out. Um, I do want to talk about elbows tight a little bit. So you started the podcast with, you mentioned, was it four years ago? Yeah. I just hit four years on the 12th. Oh, I think dang. June 12th was four years. Okay. That's awesome. At that time, I bet there were way less jujitsu podcasts and content creators around jujitsu in general. It's such a, it's such a niche. What's the journey and evolution of that been like for you? So when we're in Japan, uh, like I mentioned, John, my former co-host, he he and I were he wasn't big into podcasting yet. I had I had kind of just started podcasting for maybe a year or so, uh, listening to podcasts. And much like Jake, you realize there's a there's a gap in the space, right? I couldn't find any white belt podcasts with white belts talking about the journey that they're going through and the difficulties that they were going through at that moment. You know what I mean? Like no one was, Gary V talks about, he doesn't, he talks about don't create document. And so I was like, there's no one documenting this, this journey right now. And so I was like, John, Hey man, we should probably, uh, you know, just kind of like start documenting and talking to other white belts and seeing if they're going through the same things we are. And maybe it will resonate with someone. You know what I mean? Like maybe someone will find it. They're like, holy crap. This person thinks that neon belly sends their soul into the mat. Also, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it started. And we just like in, literally our first 20 episodes are just us interviewing our friends. It was, there was no consistency to it. There was like no real format or anything like that. It was, you know, it was just kind of like, Hey, how's it going? And we have so and so. Let's talk about jujitsu, you know. And we got really drunk when we first started. We would get really drunk. Like there was a beverage of the day every episode, and we drank a lot of beverages during it. I remember one of our buddies, uh, he brought a bottle of tequila from Costco and we had paleo margaritas, and we were like completely like hammered by the end of the podcast, man. People people comment now. They're like they're like, man, it's hard to listen to your first ones because by the the end of it, you guys are like slurring your words and like. <laughs> I was like, I don't even realize it was that bad back then, but apparently it was. Um, but yeah, so slowly we uh, our friends, um, we like interviewed all our friends, and so we started reaching out to other people and kind of interviewing blue belts and other purple belts, and slowly worked our way up to you know interviewing black belts and. But the concept behind it was always the same. It's like, wh what 
what advice can you give to brand new practitioners? What what happened? What's happened at the beginning of your journey that you learned X, Y, and Z, or you know, really trying to keep the message, you know, to newer practitioners, white belts and blue belts. Because to me, a brand a, a white a blue belt is still a newer practitioner. You know what I mean? Like you're still unless you're like a five year blue belt. Like when you get your blue belt, you're still relatively new at jujitsu. You kind of just understand the basics a little bit more than the average white belt, right? So, but there's still a lot to learn as a blue belt, right? We're I and, feel like we're on a similar path. It's like it's for this podcast. It's like Jake helping me on my journey, and it's documenting the the mentorship aspect. Uh, as a white belt podcaster in jujitsu, what advice would you have for, for us, um, uh, in, in the show, growing the show, doing what we're doing? Um, uh, just have a clear message on who the person you want to talk to. Uh, when I, when I talk to people, like I mentioned to you guys, I, uh, I, I, I'm an open book when it comes to podcasting, all my, all my failures and successes, sponsorships, guests, you know what I mean? Like everything that I've ever learned, I'm an open book. Uh, even if you're listening to this and you want to hit me up, I will spill the, you'll probably regret asking me about podcasting because I love talking about it so much. Uh, <laughs> but when, when people talk to me and they're, they're asking about, you know, oh, I want to start a podcast. What advice would you give? Or, you know, what's the one thing? And my biggest thing I would tell you is if, who is the person you want to talk to? Literally, if you could draw up a physical manifestation of that person walking through your door right now, who would they be? understand who that person is, what they like, what they don't like, what they do in their off time, what they what they want to listen to, what they don't want to listen to, how long they have in their day to listen to an episode. You know what I mean? Understanding that person entirely is going to be the biggest thing for you to being successful as a podcast. A lot of people want to do a Joe Rogan podcast. They just want to talk to cool people. And that's great, but no one gives a shit who you are unless you have a following. You know what I mean? If you're going into it because you want to talk to interesting people, you're coming at it in a wrong mindset. You want to talk to interesting people to help someone. You want to provide value to people. And understanding who that person is is going to be the first step in it. And so I tell people, sit down, think about what your message wants to be, what you want to provide to people and who that person exactly is. And you're going to be miles ahead much faster than someone that just wants to sit down and do a half-assed Joe Rogan podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what were some of your like biggest challenges of of podcasting, and what were some of your your biggest like wins or exciting moments? Yeah, biggest challenges was um, probably consistency at the beginning. Being consistent, we were trying to do bi weekly, but there was times when we would do like one a month or something like that. And um, so, be, trying to be consistent with it was probably the first big hurdle because John and I were both dads. And, you know, fathers, husbands and day jobs and stuff like that. And everyone that we would interview was pretty much the same. So trying to fit that into everyone's schedule was very difficult. And then um, also, I would I was so nervous to ask other people outside of our friends to talk to them. Um, I think jujitsu is one of the few spaces where everyone is okay with talking to anyone about jujitsu. You know what I mean? Pretty much. I mean, granted, like if you can get a hold of people, pretty much everyone's going to say yes to talking about jujitsu if it's the part of their life. You know what I mean? Um, people with bigger followings, a little bit harder to get a hold of, but when you do, typically they say yes. <laughs> um, but that that first initial, like sending that first message, requesting you know their valuable time, was a big thing to come over. Now I send out messages. I'm like, they'll probably never freaking see this. I don't even care. Whatever, I'll send it a couple of times and. 
You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, Because what's the worst that they're going to say? No. You know what I mean? Like, what are they going to leak my DMs of me being courteous to them (laughs) and wishing that I would be able to pick their brain? Like, oh, no, I'm a douchebag. Like, No, you know what I mean? So as long as you're courteous about it and, you know, you're very respectful, then most people are going to say yes. So that was probably the, the, the two big hurdles at first. Um, to your, sorry, not to like break your train. No, go thought, ahead, go ahead. But we were just on a flight um, from Hawaii to California. It's like, you know, five hours or so. And uh, we're getting on. And uh, this dude I sit next to, like before I even sit down, he goes, I wasn't wearing like, just literally wearing like a plain blue shirt. He goes, you do jujitsu or something? And I was like. <laughs> your ears? Yeah. He was like, yeah, yeah, I saw your ears we my my wife was like you were that guy we literally talked for five straight hours <laughs> as, as you could tell i can talk quite a bit uh and it only it's typically only in situations like this where it's like a conversation or something like that like most of the time i don't really like talking to people too much but my wife same thing jake my wife is like jesus travis you'll fucking talk to anyone about anything i'm like i'm sorry i don't <laughs> they pick my brain they they talk to me it's like they ask a question and they, they regret it afterwards i'm sorry i don't know what you want from me <laughs> um i i did my another one of my friends podcasts and he gave me a, i guess a compliment he was like man you really got the gift to gab I was like, I don't, uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really know if that's necessarily always a good thing, but sometimes people do want to breathe and listen to someone else. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, no. So, so th- those two things kind of going back to it. Sorry, Jake. Um, my biggest victories were probably, um, sponsorships and guests. So the first time that we had, a, um, I'm, I'm sponsored by, uh, Manscaped which I've been sponsored by them for over a year now. Never, and when they picked me up, they I was, bro, I couldn't even believe they found my email. You know what I mean? Like I got an email from the guy and I was like, there's no way Manscaped wants to sponsor our episode or sponsor our podcast. I was like, okay, maybe it'll be three months and that'll be the end of it, right? No, no, going on over a year and a half, we're the, one of the longest running podcasts for them. Um, and then also guest, um, having Roy Dean. I got, I got to talk to Roy Dean. I was always a big fan of his as a white belt, uh, coming from CrossFit, Jason Kalipa, the 2008 CrossFit games champion. He's a, a jujitsu purple belt. So I got to talk to him, Chad Wesley Smith, who's was big into strength and conditioning, got to talk to him. So a lot of these cool people that I was, I never thought in a million years that jujitsu would be the thing that tie us together. You know what I mean? So those were probably my biggest, like, victories also and about to hit 100 episodes which i think is pretty impressive also and i haven't ran out of anything to talk about yet so (laughs) that's awesome i know we're coming up on time here on be respectful your time um one last question is keeping our audience in mind it's people beginners in jiu-jitsu and you've been speaking to this audience for years what are there pieces of advice that you would give for white belts or beginners that you've seen resonate more than other pieces of advice that you've given out yeah absolutely um there's a couple and i'll try to make them quick because <laughs> i don't want to keep rambling on with you guys sorry <laughs> well i do want to keep rambling on but i don't want to keep rambling on you know what i mean <laughs> but uh so the first one is belts don't matter right 
your your belt it takes up what does Hicks and Gracie say? Belt takes up two inches around your waist. It doesn't matter. Um, very few academies or people nowadays are not going to teach you something because of the color of your belt. You know what I mean? They're gonna they're gonna look at your experience and how long you've been doing jujitsu and then gauge that. Your belt kind of represents that. But if you're a judo black belt and a Brazilian jiu-jitsu white belt, then someone's going to be able to teach you more than a day one white belt. So it's more about your experience than it is about your belt color. Um, and then number two, don't focus on anyone else's journey besides yours. You know, in jiu-jitsu, once again, belts, accolades or whatever can be very enticing if someone else has it. You know what I mean? You see someone else get promoted or get a stripe and you're like, but I tap them all the time. I submit them all the time. You know what I mean? I just won a competition. They've never competed. How are they getting promoted before I am? Well, it's because it's their fucking journey, bro. It doesn't matter about what you're doing. It's their journey. You know what I mean? Like, sorry for guessing, but it's like, it, 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 that was something that I worried about. You know, to be honest, it was like, like, oh, I need to beat everyone here so I can advance faster than all these people and do it better than them. But that's not how you're graded in jujitsu. How you're graded in jujitsu is how you're doing it, your journey. Yeah, submitting people or being the best person, air quotes, right? Helps out a lot. But prime example, there's people that start at 50 that earn a black belt in 10 years, right? They're 60 years old, they get a black belt. Yeah, they're not the most competitive person, but that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Their journey is different. You know what I mean? The, um, so th those are probably the two biggest things that that um were a big eye opener when I first heard it. And I heard it multiple times over and over again. So I was like, damn, there must be something to this, bro. <laughs> you know, if more than one people say it, I'm like, Jesus, man. Um, and then also probably from a personal experience, uh, when people talk about you know, don't use so much strength, you know, don't use so much strength. I think, um, I think that's true and false. Like, you know, there's that dogma behind like there's jujitsu, you know, strength doesn't matter. Like we mentioned before, but it does, it does. And also strength is a skill set. Flexibility is a skill set. Athleticism is a skill set. You would never tell someone to stop being so flexible in the middle of a role because they're kicking your butt. Right. I think strength is a skill set and being able to apply that skill set properly in the technique or in a role is something that you need to work on. But don't stop using your strength because someone else doesn't have that skill. You know what I mean? You should be able to use your strength in a positive way to help you in your technique. Um, I think of strength in jujitsu as uh, the saying is it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Right. It's better to be strong in jujitsu and be like, oh, well, if I need to break a grip a little bit harder, I'm able to do it. You know what I mean? But I don't need to freaking Hulkamania someone's gi blouse off the back of them in order to get to a better position. You know what I mean? So th those three things, because I was told at the beginning of my journey a lot, like, don't use so much strength, don't use so much strength. But no one really broke it down what that meant. You know what I mean? They kind of I took it as is like okay, I don't grab someone as hard. Like what, what do you mean? Don't use so much strength. Like that is such a, like an ambiguous comments. Like this, it could mean so many different things. Can you pinpoint something that I can work on that it, it doesn't involve as much strength. And it really comes down to like focusing on the technique more than if you have to muscle through a technique, then you're not doing it right. 
You know what I mean? So for the most part, you know, that there's not everything's got a gray area in jujitsu, but <laughs> yeah. So yeah, those are probably the biggest things. That's awesome advice. And such a nuance, especially when you're beginning, someone says, don't use your strength. You're like, what? This is all I have. And, uh, <laughs> and I guess when that strength turns into technique or like the proper application of the strength, that that is what jujitsu is in, in some ways. Um, but yeah, Travis, where can people, where can people find you? Where can people listen to the podcast, your site? I think you have a YouTube channel as well. Yeah. It's elbows tight everywhere at elbows tight everywhere. Elbows tight.com is like just our merch store right now but uh every every platform if you do at elbows tight i pop up my big ugly mug (laughs) (laughs) on youtube uh we're about to uh you know hit 800 subscribers on youtube which is a big milestone for me i'm pretty excited for that uh instagram is probably where i'm most active at um i answer every dm i answer i answer every dm um, so if you guys message me, it might be a little bit because a lot of times it goes to hidden, but I will answer any question you have. And if I don't know it, uh, luckily I've talked to a lot of amazing people and I can find an answer for you. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out. And if you just want to say, Hey, shut up a little bit more then you can say that too. And I'll appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Travis. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Super fun to get to meet you and connect with you another uh, jujitsu content creator out there in the wild. So it's, it's always fun. No, I appreciate it guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I was really excited about this and, uh, and it was, it was a blast. You know, it's always nice talking to other like-minded people that, that want to just help and uh, create a better space for jujitsu and maybe change the game with an app or two. (laughs) (laughs) One app at a time. One app at a time, baby. That's right. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Cool. Travis. Thank you so much for coming on and, and hopefully I'll I'll be able to hop on your podcast relatively yeah. soon too. And we could chat there. There we go. That sounds like fun. <laughs> cool. <laughs>